while you're turning there, if you uh, did not feel comfortable coming up for the offering, uh, Dustin's going to be in the back after the service with um, the offering bag, and you can still give and put it in there. So just be aware of that as you're departing today. But we are going to be uh, in James chapter 2, continuing our study through the book of James. And uh, today we're going to be, it, it, today I'm actually breaking this message up into two uh, messages. We're going to be in verses 14 through 26, and I'm going to break that up into two messages. But um, I'm gonna, let me ask you a few rhetorical questions. Um, if someone were to tell you that they were a surgeon, how do you know that? If someone were to tell you they're a police officer, how do you know it? If someone were to tell you, hey, I'm in the military, how do you know? If someone were to tell you, hey, I can bench press 400 pounds, how do you know? Is it simply because they just tell you and you're like, oh, okay, or do you need a little evidence? If someone says, hey, I'm a surgeon, I want to see you perform some surgery. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I can bench press 400 pounds, I'm like, dude, stack the plates, let me see it. Because I'm not just going to take you at your word. I need to see some evidence of what you're saying about yourself. This is where James is at in connection with our Christian faith. James is saying in verses 14 through 26, he's, he's coming across to this. He's like, hey, you know what? If you profess and claim to be a Christian, if you claim to have faith, there needs to be some evidence to show proof of that. Okay, and that's where we're going to be looking at today and not next week, but the following week. We're going to be looking at what I am entitling evidence of saving faith. What's the evidence in our lives as believers in Christ? So today I'm looking at I've got one big main point and then a few sub points and then I'm going to continue in in two weeks with with the other main points. So let me begin with this. Number one there on your outline. Here's the first main point about evidence of saving faith. And it's this. Saying I am a Christian isn't evidence of saving faith. Simply saying, professing, claiming, hey, I'm a Christian is not evidence. Okay? And I'm going to show you this today, some evidence of saving faith. And and notice there in our text, look at verse 14. James writes, he says, what good is it, my brothers? Okay, he's talking to, to Christians. Remember, he's actually talking to the church. He's In in chapter 1, we know he's writing to Jewish Christians that have been scattered, but he's writing specifically to a particular church. We don't know what church this was, and the reason why we know it's a church is because last week when I looked at the sin of partiality, he's talking about, hey, when people come into your assembly, so when you're gathered together as a group of Christians, so he's talking to a group, he's talking to a church, and so we need to understand that if we translate this from then till now, um, everybody's saying he's talking to us, all right? He's talking to us as the church. So he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? Notice he says, if someone says he has faith. So there are people apparently back then as today who what? Proclaim and say, I'm a Christian, 
Do you know that three-fourths of America says they're Christians? Okay, three-fourths. Does it appear to us that three-fourths of America are, is, is acting like Christians? No. Why? Because there's a lot of people who have the label on their forehead stamped what? Christian. Why? Well, I know I'm not, a, I'm not Muslim, and, and I know I'm not Hindu. I'm not an atheist, so that makes me what? A Christian. And that's what people are saying. We simply have a, a, a profession. We simply just have just words to say, I am a Christian. So we have to ask, is saying, I am a Christian, enough evidence to prove I am a Christian? And James is going to show us today and in the next message, the answer to that is one little word, no. Simply saying, I am a Christian. Simply saying, I believe in God or I believe in Jesus is not evidence of saving faith. So what is evidence? How do you and I know? If someone tells you, I'm a Christian, just like if someone were to tell you, hey, I can bench press 400 pounds, how do you know? How do you know someone is a Christian? How do you know someone truly has saving faith? Well, this is what I want to flesh out here in our text today. We're looking at verses 14 through 17. Here are three ways of knowing if someone has saving faith. Here's the first way to know if you have saving faith. Saving faith begins with a complete trust, reliance, and profession in Christ for the forgiveness of sin and salvation. One way to know that you have saving faith is that you have a complete trust, reliance, and a profession in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and your salvation. Because notice again what he says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? Does that, and he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? If you look at verse 17, he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Three times in these three verses, 14 through 17, he uses the word faith. If you continue on through all 12 verses, 11 times, James uses the word faith. Faith. If you have faith, if you have faith, does that faith save you? So what does he mean by this word faith? Okay? This is, this, is a, this is what we need to understand. What does it mean to say, I have faith? What does it mean to say, I am in the faith? What does it mean to say, I have faith in Jesus? What is this faith that he is talking about? Here's what he is not saying. Faith is not simply a mental ascension about God. It is not simply mentally saying, I believe in God. In fact, in, our, in my next message in two weeks, James even says that. About just believing in God is not enough. Just saying I believe in God is not evidence. So faith is not just simply having a mental idea of who God is and who, of who Jesus is. It is more. Here's what faith truly is defined in the Greek. It really means a complete trust and reliance. Hence my point. It is a complete trust and reliance. 
but in what? A complete trust and reliance in what? Well, he says it. James tells us what we um, are to have a complete trust and reliance in. So in verse 14, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? Can that faith save him? The question we have to ask is what? Save me from what? If I have faith, it's going to save me. So if I have a complete reliance and trust in something, it will save me. From what? It's going to save me from my sin. My this saving that James is referring to is the fact that, here's the thing, um, we are all sinners. And the true spiritual condition of every single person, every single person who has lived, every single person who is now living on the face of the earth, every single person in this room today, every single person watching online, and it's this. Your true spiritual condition is that you are on the road, the path, or as ACDC said, you're on the highway to hell because of sin. But my faith saves me from that. Okay? That's what we need to understand. We need to understand our true spiritual condition first and foremost. Just jot these references down. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that there is no one righteous, not one. So if no one is righteous, not one, how many are um, righteous before God? No one, okay? Zero. That means you are not right before God. None of us in this room are right before God. You are unrighteous before God. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned, all. Everybody do this. Because guess what? We all land in all. All have sinned. And it goes on to say, and we fall short of the glory of God. You see, because of my sin, I fall short of the glory of God. Meaning I fall short of being in his presence. I fall short of getting into heaven. I fall short of spending eternity with him. I fall short because of my sin. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, verse 2, it tells us that our sins separate us from God. Ephesians, chapter 2, it tells us because of our sin that we are spiritually dead before God. And by nature, meaning this is just the natural consequence of your sin, of your separation. By nature, I am an object of God's wrath. And what God's wrath is, according to Revelation chapter 20, that every person will stand at the judgment throne of God, the white, the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment seat, there's only one verdict, guilty. And it's at that judgment seat where people, because of their sin, will be eternally separated from God in a very literal place called hell. It doesn't sound fair. It doesn't sound good, but it is the truth because that's what God's word tells us. Our sin separates us from God for all eternity. That, my, my friends, is your true spiritual condition. 
You have no hope without Christ. You have no eternity without Christ. You are eternally separated from God because of sin. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. God made a way for you and I not to have to go to that. I mean, how many of you know God could judge us that quick? The moment you and I sin, judgment, nothing else. But God doesn't do that. Jot these scripture references down. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says, While we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I love that. Christ died for the ungodly. Not for people who just were making mistakes. Not for people who just had some weird quirks. No, for the ungodly. And guess what each and every one of us were? ungodly, okay? Unrighteous sinner before God. Romans chapter five, verse eight says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 5, 10, it says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see, it's all through what Christ did. You and I, we had no hope. We were all going to hell. But God, in his love for us, he looks at humanity and says, I don't want them to perish. I want all of humanity saved. And there was only one way to do that. And that was through the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus, through the obedience of following the Father, takes all of the sin of humanity upon himself. He becomes sin for you and I, so that through him, we can become the righteousness of God. Not because of what we do. Not because we earn it or deserve it. But simply out of the amazing mercy, grace, and love of God, he sends Jesus to become the sacrifice for our sin. And it's through Christ that you and I no longer are on the highway to hell, but we are turned around and we get to go to heaven. But it's through Christ. But here's the greatest deception the enemy has convinced us of. You can get there on your own. The greatest deception the enemy has told humanity is you, that thing about Jesus, don't believe it. You can get your way to heaven. You can, you can do it on your own. You don't need help. You can, you can just do, do enough. You're getting there. In the summer of 2019, we as a family um, went down to Destin, Florida for vacation. Breck flew from San Diego from, from the Navy. Mecca Noah went with us and we were all on the beach one day and Noah and I were, and it was really rough surf this one day. Noah and I were probably out, I don't know, maybe 75, 100 yards. And it was one of those, those times where the, the, the waves were just crashing really hard. And, and so Noah and I were out there, and you know, we're pretty good swimmers, and we'd go up, and as soon as the wave crashed over, we couldn't touch bottom anymore. And, and so we, we were just enjoying it. I just happened to look over to my right, and there were three little uh, kids, two little girls and a, a boy, I would say maybe the boy looked like he was maybe 10 and the girls maybe 12, 13. And um, I looked and I saw the panic in one of the girls. And I swam over there and I said, are you girls having trouble? And this one girl looks at me and she goes, I can't swim. They had gotten out too far and I, she was going under. 
And, and um, the, the boy was fortunate enough. He swam in, but the girls couldn't. Noah grabbed one of the girls, and he was able to get her in. I grabbed the bigger girl, and, and I put her on my back, and her arm came around my neck. And I was trying to lift her out of the water with my right arm and with my left hand trying to, to swim. And I was lifting her out of the water, and my face was in the water. And every time a wave would come in, I would go under and I would try to lift her up so she could breathe. And I kept going under and I'd come up and take a quick breath and try to swim. But the current kept pulling me out and I'd push me in it pulled me out. And I'm sitting there trying to swim really hard. And now I'm starting to get tired and, and I could feel myself. I don't have, and I'm like, Noah, if you can get her in, come out and help me. And, and, and I'm sitting there trying to struggle, swim, swim, and I'm not making any ground. This girl's panicking. The next thing I know is the lifeguard pulls up. Because that far out, they had to use whistles to try to tell people, get in, you're too far out. You couldn't hear anybody on the beach, and the beach couldn't hear people out in the water. So I'm starting to panic, and, and the lifeguard pulls up, and he says, I've got you. And he grabbed the girl, and I was able to grab her, the board. Now, imagine if the lifeguard would have showed up, and I'm like, dude, I don't need your help. I can do this. I can figure out a way to get to the shore. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paddle hard enough. I'm going to swim hard enough, and I'll get there. Get, I don't need your path to the shore. How many of you know that would have been complete ignorance? Because what would have happened? I would have drowned. This girl would have drowned. Imagine if you were caught in a burning building and, and you are trapped and you can't get out and a firefighter shows up and he says, there's only one way out of here. If you will follow me, I can get you out of this building. Now, what if you looked at the firefighter? No, I think I can get another way out. I, I'm pretty smart. I think I can figure a way out of here. I'll get my own way out. Thanks, but no thanks. You would die in the fire. When it comes to eternal matters, spiritual matters, people are saying, I don't need Jesus's help. I have figured it out. I know how to get there. I know what to do. But the Bible makes it very clear. There is only one way to God. And we sang it. There's only one truth. There's only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ. And it's only by this faith in Christ that we are saved. That is what James is talking about when he talks about can such faith save him? It is saved from an eternal separation from God and the only faith is through Christ. Look at these scripture references going to be coming up to the screen so I can just support what I'm saying here. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 5 and 8 says this. Because of the great love with which God loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved through faith. Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Did you notice one word that kept being popping up here? Faith, faith, faith. The words, that word faith used in Ephesians and Romans means the exact same thing as in James chapter 2. 
It means a complete reliance and trust in Christ alone. There is no other way. There is no working harder. There is no another avenue to get to heaven. It is through faith in Christ that I am saved. And that's what James is saying here. That there is a faith that saves us. And that faith is a complete reliance and trust in Christ. But notice in the point, I said it's a complete reliance, trust, and profession. Because if you notice in the text, James says if someone says they, are a, they have this faith. So they're making a profession that I have faith in Christ. A profession in Christ has to be the starting point, okay? We are not, you're just not automatically saved. Just because Jesus died on a cross for all of humanity, you are not automatically saved. It is not just automatically given to you. You have to receive it. You have to take it on for yourself like a gift. You have to bring that gift into your life. And the way you get that gift into your life is you have to profess it and you have to ask for it. You have to say, this gift I want. Because if you look at the book of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 tells us this. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, you got to have this trust in in Christ. It's a complete reliance and a complete trust in what Christ did. He's the only way. But there's also got to come a point where you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And my sin is going to separate me from you for all eternity. So Jesus, I confess that I need a savior. I can't save myself. I'm going to burn in the building. I'm going to drown in the ocean if I don't get you. So Jesus, come into my life. Be my savior. You see, that's called a conversion story. Every one of us, if you call yourself, if you profess and say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm a Christian, let me ask you this question. What's your conversion story? Meaning this, can you look back at a time in your life that you realized I'm a sinner, I'm unsaved, I'm going to hell. Maybe it was a message you heard in church. Maybe it was a friend who told you about Christ. Maybe you listened to Billy Graham. There could have been in numerous ways, but at some point in your life, somebody said something, the word of God spoke to your heart and you realized I'm a sinner. And you came to that point and you confessed to Christ. You you, you came to the point where you're like, Jesus, I trust in you. And I am a sinner. I need you to save me. When did you do that? You see, there's a lot of people. I've had people save me. I've believed Jesus my entire life. No, you have not. You just haven't. Because when you were born, you did not come out going, I believe in Jesus. You, there are people, again, Satan is deceiving people to say, hey, you've grown up in church. You went to Sunday school every Sunday until you were 18. You're okay. You've been to, you've, you've been to every Christmas and Easter service for the past 50 years. You're okay. But the problem is, 
you don't have a conversion story. What you have is, well, I grew up in church. My parents were Christians. I've always believed in, no, you haven't always believed in Jesus. You had to have a a point in your life that you may not have the exact date. You may not know the exact month, but you can tell, man, I remember when I was about 23 or when, Dusty said it, when I was in eighth grade, you can pinpoint it. And you know, Dusty gave a great testimony. I was in eighth grade. I remember walking down the aisle. Paula was saying that to me just the other day. I remember when I, and I, and I walked the aisle. There's a t- you may not have walked the aisle, but there's a point in your life that you know that you know that you know. This is when I gave my heart to Christ. This is when I became a believer. Listen to me. If you don't have a conversion story, more than likely you don't have a conversion If you cannot identify a particular time when you trusted in complete reliance, complete trust, and a profession in Christ, more than likely you are sitting right here before me unsaved. And you may have grown up in church. You may have been in this church for the past 10 years. But if you have never professed Christ, you have never surrendered your life to him and said, Jesus, you are my basket and I'm putting all my eggs in you. If you have never done that, I don't care how much Bible you may know. You are still unsaved. And you need Jesus. And you can do that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity. And I pray over the next several minutes that you will let this truth resonate in your heart. That if you do not know Christ, if you can't pinpoint a conversion story for your life, that you would take this seriously. Because there is nothing more serious than what I'm saying to you right now. Your eternity depends on it. And if you don't know Christ, if you have never completely relied on and trusted in him and professed him as your savior, you need to do that today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that after the message. Here's the second thing about how you know if you have saving faith. So not only is it a complete reliance and a trust and a profession, but here's the second thing. Saving faith will transform the heart. Saving faith is going to have, something's going to happen inside of me. It's going to transform my heart. Because again, look at James 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says they have faith, but they don't have any works? Can that faith save him? Now in verse 15, he gives a practical example of this. He says, if a brother or sister, so he's talking about if there are other Christians, remember, in the assembly, in the church, if there are other Christians around you, he says, if there are brothers and sisters who are, who are poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? You see, he's giving a very practical example of someone who truly doesn't have saving faith because their heart's not transformed. What it is is here's this person who professes, who says, I'm a, I'm a believer. They see the need. They acknowledge the need, but they do nothing about it. They look at the, the person in need. They look at the need that needs to be met, and they're like, oh, sorry, too bad. You know, I've got a lot going on in my life. I'm just real busy. You know, I've got too many things in my hopper. You know what? Maybe another day. You know what? Take care. Good luck. Bye-bye. See, James is saying that person's not saved because the heart's not transformed. You see, when you and I are saved, truly saved, 
Saving faith, something happens to your heart. And then when something happens to the heart, guess what starts to happen in your life? It changes. All of a sudden, I, 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 I'm starting to realize, you know what? I want to live a little bit, little bit more like Christ. I want to act a little bit more like Christ. I want to serve. I want to worship. I want to witness. I want to, I want to connect with other people. I want to do the things that the Bible tells me to do. And I want to be obedient to that. And I want to walk in that. That's the transformation of the heart. But how is the heart transformed? Is it simply because we say a prayer? How many of you know there's a lot of people who have said a prayer? People have been so scared about hell. They're like, well, I'm walking the aisle, man. I don't want to go to hell. Jesus saved me from hell. But their life doesn't change. The heart's not transformed. Why? Because we just said some words. We really did not have a trust and a reliance and a real profession. You see, when you and I truly have saving faith, the heart is transformed. And here's how the heart is transformed. The Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, when he's talking to the disciples, and he says, you know, when it comes to believers, he goes, when I leave, when I ascend, I'm going to send the helper. And the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he is going to dwell in you. As a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it talks about Christ living in you if you know him. The Spirit of Christ, he lives in you. And when you know the Spirit of Christ, when the Spirit of Christ lives in us, he's going to change us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says this. It says, you, however, and remember, Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to the church in Rome, and he's talking to Christians. And he says, you Christians, basically, however, understand this. You are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Paul gives us this verse and he goes, you want to know who are real believers? And it's simply this, those who has the spirit of God. And how do you know you have the spirit of God? Your life is going to change. It's not going to be the same. Why? Because he says, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. The sinful nature is your flesh. It's, the, it's that sin that, man, I just like to, I, I live for self. I live for the culture. I live for the world. I'm, that's what I'm about. If I can do that, the Spirit of God's not in me. Why? Because if the Spirit of God is in me, he will control me. He will change me. He will transform me. You know, in the book of Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is contrasting the difference between Um, being controlled by the spirit and being controlled by the flesh. And in, in Galatians chapter five, verse 19, he says, the acts of the flesh are evident, obvious. He goes, this is how you know. He's like, here's how you know if someone truly has the spirit of God in them. Here's how you know if the spirit of God is in them, meaning they have saving faith. Here's how you know. Um, If that's not happening, this is evident. They'll be jealous, sexual immorality, idolatry, fits of rage, anger, all of this stuff. He just starts listing all this sin, and he's just basically saying, when you don't have the Holy Spirit controlling you, you're going to live a sinful life. You're just going to live like a sinner. You're going to live in the flesh. But then he says, but if the Holy Spirit is in you, here's the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's the evidence. Here's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, faithfulness. These are the things. Basically, he's saying, listen, when you have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's changing you, you're going to want to be more like Christ. You're going to work for Christ. You're going to serve and you're going to do. You're going to, you're, 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 it's going to flow out of you. And does that mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Understand this. Your Christian walk, your Christian life is not about perfection, but progression. You and I are never going to be perfect on this side of heaven, but we are progressively moving more like Christ to be more like Christ. And when I am becoming more like Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit is in me. He's transforming my heart because I have had a truly saving faith. So when I have true saving faith, the Holy Spirit is in me. He's transforming me, which leads me to the third point of how you know you have saving faith. And it's this. Saving faith will engage the will and respond with good works. You see, this flows right out of the Holy Spirit being in us. So again, James, look at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, saving faith, but does not have works? Look at verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Saving faith is living faith. No faith is dead faith. But now James says something that really has sparked debate in the church for years. And it's this, is James denying faith alone? Because that's what Paul says. Is James advocating, no, 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 if you really want to be saved, you got to have works. If you want to secure your salvation, you got to have works. Is, is, is that what Paul is saying? Faith and works saves us? Is, 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 or I mean, I think I just said James. Is James like um, throwing out Paul's teaching? Because Paul is saying, you are saved by faith alone. But James is saying, nope, your work's saved. Is James wrong or is he right? Everything that James is saying, he is not advocating faith plus works. He is not um, kicking Paul out of the bus. James is completely in line with Paul, just in another state. Think of it this way. Paul, all of his teaching was pre-conversion. All of James' teaching is post-conversion. So before you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Paul is teaching you this. You can't work your way to God. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't do anything to make yourself right for God. Your works mean nothing. The only thing that gets you right for God is that you have a complete and utter trust in Jesus Christ, in him alone. That gets you to God. That makes you a believer in Jesus Christ. But then James piggybacks off of what Paul just said. And he says, hey, if you truly have a genuine faith, if you truly have accepted Christ, guess what should be flowing from your life? works. Because if the Holy Spirit is in you and he's transforming your heart to be more like Christ, guess what you're going to do? You will act more like Christ. So you see, he's not saying that James is wrong. He is saying James is complete or Paul is completely right. James is just saying 
Here's the evidence. There should be evidence that you have saving faith. They're together. You know, John Calvin says it this way. He says, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. You see, what he means by that is this. When I come, when I have a true saving faith in Christ, and I accept him as my savior, the Holy Spirit is in me, the Holy Spirit begins to change me and transform me. Guess what all of a sudden I, I look at the needs in the church. All of a sudden, you know what? I need to serve. I need to be serving in some kind of ministry, somewhere doing something. I need to be giving of my financial means. I, I need to be helping those around me. I need to be connecting. I need to be help building up the church. When I have an opportunity to witness to someone, I take advantage of that. Man, all of a sudden I start to realize I need to practice spiritual disciplines like reading God's word and praying. Those are things that start to flow out of my life. Those works don't secure my, my salvation but they show it. They reveal it. The things in my life, all of a sudden, I'm not living according to the sinful nature, but I'm living according to the Holy Spirit. When I read God's word and I see what it says, guess what I want to do? I want to walk in obedience to it. Perfectly? No. Progressively? Absolutely. You see, that's what being saved is all about. Saving faith shows, real saving faith is shown by the works. That's the evidence. Because listen, listen, listen. If you can say, I'm a Christian, but you have no desire to ever serve, you have no desire to ever witness to someone, you have no desire to practice the discipline of being in God's word and reading it and prayer, you, have, you know, <clears throat> Your worship, temp, uh, your worship attendance. In fact, some people, even their apex of their faith is simply this. And sporadically, even at best, I go to church. Some people's, the apex of their faith is I go to church at Easter and Christmas. I'm a Christer, so that makes me a Christian. No. There's no evidence there. You like that one, huh? A Christer is not a Christian. That needs to be a, that needs to be a t-shirt right there, boy. You see, when I can simply say, and there is no evidence, all I have is words. All I have is an intellectual faith, a, 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 a mind that says, well, I believe in God, but a heart that says, I am not transformed. Warren Wearsby, in his commentary, says it this way. He says, beware of mere intellectual faith. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than a man can come in contact with a 220-volt wire and remain the same. That is truth. And the idea is if I truly have saving faith, it's going to change me. I'm not going to be the same. I'm going to have a desire to serve in the church. I'm going to have a desire to minister in the church. I'm going to have a desire to witness and invite people to come to church. I'm going to have a desire to be part of a Sunday school program. I'm going to have a desire to, to study God's word and make sure I'm in church to hear God's word. Those things will progressively keep growing in my life. And if that's not there, there's a problem. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, 
He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. All you've got to do is look at your life and just ask, where's my heart at? Do I have a desire to serve? Do I have a desire to be involved in ministry? When an opportunity, when a need, you know, like, like, Think about, you know, practical, practical one here. We had the ministry fair out there at the very early part of the year, I think it was. And we had, we had a lot of need in the church. Let me ask you, did you plug in or did you just, thank you, I see the need, I acknowledge the need, bye-bye. Boom, and walk right by. You see, when you examine yourself, you're gonna know. If, if, if an opportunity to witness to someone arises do you just boop, nope not going to say a word you just don't have a desire to witness anybody what about reading god's word and praying is that there or are you just like no i just don't really care listen if you don't have a desire for the things of christ desire to grow in the things of christ the heart's broken there's something there okay it, it, it's it's not right And that's why, truly, if you have saving faith and the Holy Spirit truly lives in you, you will not be the same. People will look at you and go, I knew you 10 years ago. You're not that person. But if people you went to high school with and you can still party with them and you profess to be a Christian, there's a disconnect, a big disconnect. And that disconnect is simply this. You're not connected to the one who brings the life. If you have been listening to me over the last few minutes and you still have not figured out your conversion story, if you can examine yourself in these in just a, about a minute's time and you can go, you know what? I showed up to church, but that's about it. I, there's nothing else in my life. I'm telling you, you better ask yourself, do I truly and genuinely have saving faith? Because I'm telling you, your eternity depends on it. Amen? If you would bow your head with me. I just want this moment just just to be a time where it's just you and God. And I just need to ask, do you have saving faith? This is not about how long you've gone to church. This is not about whether you are a member of a church or or anything like that. What's your conversion story? When did you come to that place where you personally acknowledged your sin? It may have been three months ago, three years, 30 years It could have been a lifetime ago, but you can look back and go, I remember when. I remember when I said, Jesus, come into my life, save me, forgive me. And you surrendered your life to him. And you can look back and go, my life has not been the same. Not perfect, but it's not been the same. If you are here today and you don't know Christ truly as your personal savior, If you can't genuinely say you have saving faith, will you please lift your hand because I want to pray with you. 
there be anybody here. I do not be like, well, Jim, you know, there's people to look at. This is between you and God. Because I'm telling you, if you die without saving faith, you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. And you will be judged for your sin. And the only way you miss that judgment is in the here and now. And that is through Jesus Christ alone. It's accepting him. So I'm just going to ask one more time. Is there anyone here says, Jim, I don't know Jesus. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else who says, Jim, I, I don't think I, I'm, I'm not a believer. Anyone else? Now, here's going to be the hard part. This is the tough part. If you raised your hand, I want you to get out of your seat. And I want you to come to me right now because here's what that does. That's not showing me or people around us. That's showing God. I'm serious about this. You're showing God. You're saying, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. And I'm not just going to sit here and just quiet. No, I'm going to show my evidence that I'm putting my faith in Christ. So if you raised your hand, please get up. And I want you to come up here with me. I don't want you to be afraid of what people are going to think or anything like that. This is between you and God at this moment. Just come on up here, guys. And if you didn't raise your hand and you still want to get up out of your seat and come up here, I would encourage you to do that. If you need to ask someone next to you and say, hey, will you go pray with me? Bring them with you. The rest, if you would just keep your heads bowed and just keep praying, I'm just going to pray with these two.